Um, but hey, today we're in our series called The Jesus Way, and what we're looking at is Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at where Jesus uh, gives these things called the sixth antitheses, and this is where he challenges the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, these are the religious, Jewish religious leaders of the day. And he, as he's uh, teaching his disciples, he's helping them to understand that there is a new way other than the way that you've been following under these religious people. All right? They've got things mixed up, messed up, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to get at the heart of the issue. And so we've talked about murder, and he says, well, you're guilty of murder if you've been angry. And he, we talked about adultery, and he says, you've, you, you're guilty of adultery even if you've lusted, and, and talking about breaking vows. And, 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 and now we're in the fourth week, which is we're going to talk about divorce today. Now, this is a sensitive subject, and I know that it is, so I want to kind of preface today with understanding that I know that a lot of us in this room have probably been affected by divorce, maybe been through a divorce, maybe multiple divorces, our parents have been divorced. And so I want you to understand that as we talk about this, I don't, especially if you're new here today and you haven't been a part of this series, I want you to understand that what we're doing is we're opening the Bible first and foremost, which is what our job is to do at church, you know, is to see what God's word says about a topic or an issue and how it relates to us. And so we're opening God's word, but we're also tracking through a story in how um, um, people thousands of years ago had this mixed up and they, they started to make all these rules, regulations, and, and they formed a religion around how do I please God but yet get away with the things that I want to do? Because that's really what religion is. That's really what rules are. It's tell me what I can't do so that I know that what I can get away with. That's basically the human heart. And Jesus is trying to just tip that on its head. And so I know that, again, as I said, maybe you've been through a divorce or you've been affected by divorce. I want you to understand that all of us in this room have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. We've made bad decisions. We've made mistakes. And that is why we come here. That is why we need Jesus. And so we want to look at what his word says so that from this day forward, we can know how to live. From our choices today, because every day is new with God. Every day there's a new morning with God. Every day we can choose to follow him instead of our own opinions and our own feelings and ideas. We can do that today, and our past can be forgiven, and God can make a beautiful out of broken situations. And so, as we get into this, I want you to understand um, the grace aspect of it. Now, statistics would say, you've probably heard this before, that, you know, 50% of all people who get married get divorced, um, and the church is no different. Inside the church... They're just like the world. Maybe you've heard that before. And that really irritates me, so I went and did some deeper study. And what I found is on a few different websites, and, and I'll just say that all statistics are biased, by the way, but I, I went and actually found that actually uh, Barna himself says, actually, we, we've never gotten close to 50% as a, a people group. Never, ever have gotten close to 50% of marriages divorcing. And as a matter of fact, the church, when we do statistics on people in the church, the stats aren't as the same as the world. They're actually way lower. All right. Now the problem is, is that 
a lot of America would claim to be Christian. A lot of them would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, right, if you were to do a survey. Do you go to church? No, haven't gone since Christmas or Easter five years ago, but I'm still a Christian because that's what my parents believe. And so the problem is when taking, you know, national statistics, especially in America, there's going to be a lot of people that say that they're Christians, but the statistics found when, when you do a, a survey a group of Bible-believing, involved, plugged-in, connected, um, um, praying, you know, mentoring, discipling, going to church every week type Christians, the, 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 the rate of divorce is a lot, lot lower, all right? It's probably somewhere between 60% lower than the average. And that's how it should be. So that's good news, by the way. That's how it should be. And so if you're here today and you're wondering, you know, uh, I don't want to become a statistic. Well, one way is to start figuring out how Jesus wants you to live, right? And, and start getting into relationships here at the church that can help you and keep you accountable and, you know, ask for a mentor, join a group, talk about these things with your family when you leave here today. Man, we can't exhaust this topic Enough. I'd love to go for hours. You all know that. I could go, I could go all day long on a, on a sermon, on a topic, but we only have so much time. And so what has to happen then is for you to go have these conversations later. Keep talking about it with your family and with your friends, with your coworkers. And so, so with that being said, I will say this about statistics is that every five out of every four statistics is made up. All right. So you can't really trust them at all. All right. unless, unless those statistics are biased towards your preference and opinion, then they're 110% accurate, okay? I was hoping you guys were going to get that. It was kind of a little weird math joke that I don't trust statistics. We make them up. They're all biased and everything anyway. So, but let's get into what Jesus says about this topic in Matthew chapter 6. Six. And what we're going to find out is that Jesus is interested in marriages being saved. Jesus has a high view of marriage. He wants to save us. He wants to save us from our sin. He wants to put us on the right path. And then he wants us to learn how to love each other. And that marriage relationship is the first relationship where we prove our faith. If we believe that God loved us and he forgave us and he has a commitment and a covenant with us, then we are going to try to love him back and be like him by going and loving other people. And the first most important relationship on earth for those who are married is that marriage relationship with their spouse. So let's, Jesus, let's see what Jesus says about this. Matthew 5, 31 through 32. I'm sorry I misspoke. It was, it's Matthew 5. You have heard the law that says... A man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. All right? So these are the only two verses in this entire piece of Scripture that we have to go off of, of what Jesus says here. Now, we're going to have to jump back and forth to some other scriptures because Jesus does expound on this a little bit more. But he basically says, you've heard that it was said, right? And we've talked about that all through this series that there were religious leaders that put in place little loopholes and rules and little things that would allow them to get away with certain things and still not break God's law because that was what was most important to them 
was following the rules. They thought that was going to get them to heaven. And Jesus is saying, nope, nobody's getting to heaven based on following the rules because you've all broken. Let me show you why. Okay. And so the context of this is, is he's teaching his disciples. There are people in earshot that are hearing it. And, and what is going on with these Pharisee type people, as I said? As, as much as we think that they're holy and they're the people that we're supposed to follow after their example, they're really not. They're really vile on the inside, and, and on the outside you can see it. Um, what they really want to do, what's really going on is, is Jesus is referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, all right, And there were people, because of the hardness of their heart, because of lust, because of the desire to want to have multiple women or whatever it was, um, there was, there was, there was homes being broken all over the place. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and it goes on to talk about... Um, if she goes, it's okay if she goes and marries another person, but then she can't come back because that would be sin and you're committing adultery. And Jesus is kind of, he's bringing this back up, this old law that they've kind of twisted and turned. And, and certainly, you know, um, there was some kind of a, there's a, a clause about divorce. Now you should go listen to the podcast because some of us pastors on, uh, Pursue God, a podcast that you can find on the website. We talked a lot about our different opinions about when would divorce be allowed and all that type of stuff. Um, but some people believe that the only, only way that a divorce would be biblical is if there was unfaithfulness in the marriage. And that seems to be the most um, obvious thing in Scripture, right? And so, so that's kind of what Deuteronomy 24 was referring to at that moment. But Jesus is revealing their hearts because what had happened was the Pharisees were actually going beyond this, trying to find every little detail and reason to try to get out of their marriage. They were trying to find anything they could because what was in their heart was lust, and they wanted, they got sick of who they were married to, and they wanted to be with another person. And so they'd find any kind of way to get out of it. And, and that's where Jesus is really challenging them. But he comes at it. We're going to see that this is not what God wants for marriage. And so I want to set up as my first point what marriage really is. Marriage was God's idea. It's about more than just a piece of paper. It's not just this contract, not just this legal document. Now, every time I do a wedding, we always have this moment after the wedding where the person taking the photos wants to come over and take some really cool photos on a table that's all dressed up with some, some drapes flowing down from it, and we're signing the document. And there's two witnesses, and the, the husband and the wife sign, and I sign, and I get to smile in this picture, you know, with a really cool, like, $20 pen. That's usually what people like. They want to remember this legal document signing, all right? And, and yes, of course, that is a legal binding document in our culture, but to God, it's so much more than that. Our culture has turned it into something that 
this is how I can get tax benefits, right? Now I can claim more people, right? And, and, and make more money off of the government, right? Marriage is more than that to God. God created marriage and it didn't start with a piece of paper and it doesn't end with a piece of paper that you can download off of the internet when you get sick of your marriage and to null the one, you, you, you make void one document with another document with a couple hundred dollars and a downloaded piece of paper. That is not God's design. That is not what God intended for marriage. God intends that marriage would be one man and one woman for life. That is the only biblical recognized marriage that God created and that God wants and that God desires. Let's go all the way back to Genesis when the first marriage happened. Genesis 2 verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Then verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. All right, and so what we see here in this story, what happens is, is that God creates Adam first, the man first, and, and God uh, uh, makes all these animals and brings them in front of him, and he gets to, the man gets to name all the animals. And, but in all of this work and all of this toil and all that God created, he could not find fulfillment. He could not find a companion. And so God says, yes, you're right. It is not good for you to be alone. And so he causes him to fall into a deep sleep and he pulls a rib out of his side and fashions it into woman. Out of his flesh, he makes another human being, a different human being, almost opposite from him, human being, called woman, right? And he, God didn't take her from his foot, so that she was lower than him, or from his head, that so that she was higher than him, but she takes her from his side to be equal, his equal partner that he could find fulfillment in. And now I've talked about this before, I'll mention it again, there's a theological concept called complementarianism. This believes that, and this is what I believe, is that men and women are created different, and we should celebrate those differences, but then God does something very unique when he brings two different parts, two halves to a whole together. Because the Bible says that, uh, he, he says that men and women were created in God's image. But man does not possess the fullness of the attributes of God alone. And neither does woman alone. And neither does man and woman together because the attributes of God cannot be uh, comprehended fully. But... There's a fuller picture when man and woman come together and complete each other. That's what complementarian uh, means, is to complete one another. And that was God's design, when, and that's why it says, the two are united into one. Right? This is a sacred, holy union that God created from the beginning. This is the first marriage ceremony, and it is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. This is why we make it a big deal. When we do marriage ceremonies, especially Christian weddings, because we want to honor God and we believe we have a high view of marriage, like Jesus has a high view of marriage. It's not just a piece of paper. And so from this, God says, go be fruitful and multiply. That's another implication of what it means to becoming one. These two opposite parts that fit perfectly together 
They come together as one, and now they're able to go out and be creators like God was a creator. Now they can procreate. They can make other human beings, and it's a beautiful thing. And that was God's plan, that the family would go out and and lead the world and fill the earth and subdue it and multiply. That is a beautiful thing that God created. Men and women and the world and culture has turned it into something that it is not. The only recognizable marriage is a biblical marriage between a man and woman. Yet everybody else out there in the world can call it marriage, whatever. They can steal our word. But the only recognized biblical Christian marriage is between a man and a woman for life. I'll talk about that for life thing in just a moment because there's a lot of people who believe maybe marriage lasts for eternity. And you're, you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can make it just for this physical life. With, You know, let me give you some, you know, let me relieve you, all right? I think the Bible says that, you know, uh, that when the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they're like, you know, hey, if, 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 my, if I die and, and my wife goes and marries another and then he dies and then she keeps marrying guys all the way, she marries seven guys, whose wife will she be in the afterlife? And Jesus says, you guys have misunderstood this whole thing. There will neither be marrying nor giving in marriage in heaven, but there will be, you will be like the angels in heaven, right? And so that would imply that there isn't some afterlife where... Um, you know, we're, we're married for eternity. This is a physical union, a oneness union. And I'm going to show you, you know, the example of, of in detail more why God created it this way, what it was representing. But let's go back to now what Jesus does in a different passage as he's talking about this, because later the Pharisees come up and they're like, hey, what do you believe about divorce? And they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap him because there were Pharisees and Sadducees that believed two different things. The Sadducees believed that it was an eternal thing and, and, and there was going to be, you know, or, or no, no, the Pharisees believed in it and the Sadducees didn't. And they had different views about divorce and what it was going to be like in the afterlife. And so they were trying to pin Jesus down. Hopefully he was going to offend someone, right? Kind of like when they give me sermons like this on divorce. They're, hopefully I'm going to just offend some group of people. You don't know, no, I'm just kidding, no. Um, and, and they try to pin him down, and here's how Jesus answers them. He says, Moses did say a man can give his wife a written uh, notice of divorce and send her away. Um, that's what the Pharisees said. But Jesus responds, and he said, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to you because, you're, because of your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying, yeah, yeah, Moses did say that in Deuteronomy because of your hardness of hearts, because you were breaking homes and you were causing generations of people to go on and sin and sin and and things were out of control. So there was this written uh, piece of paper that you could have to get you out of your marriage because of unfaithfulness. Yes, that was. But he says, he goes all the way past Deuteronomy, back to creation. And he says, haven't you heard from the beginning God made them male and female? And then he goes on, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So they basically ask him, can we still get divorced? And Jesus basically says, no. He says, no, 
He says, don't you know how God designed it? Don't you know the intent and purpose behind marriage? That you've been joined into one being, right? One being, you've been brought together in what God has brought together. That's what you got to remember. What God has brought together. Sometimes we think we're making all these decisions on our own in this life. As if God's not weaving things and making things happen. Um, what God has brought together, let man not separate. Now back to that oneness idea. Now, the two becoming into one and procreating, that obviously is pointing towards a physical union, a physical life together, as I said. It's talking about an image of God in this lifetime to, to procreate and to, 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 to come together as one, but also spiritually. Also, there is a spiritual connection to that. But it is pointing towards sex in marriage. And, and this is where I believe that Jesus is saying that sex is meant in one relationship and one relationship only in a covenant relationship marriage between a man and woman. So that, that get rid of any other kind of sexual activity that is non-biblical, all right? Because it causes pain, Right, Any kind of uh, sex before marriage or sex after being married with, with multiple partners or same-sex uh, relationships, Jesus is saying that this is meant in only one type of relationship between man and woman for life. And I want to give you a little illustration about this. They used to talk about this in youth group, and I've heard this several times, but um, take a, a blue paper heart and a pink paper heart. That represents man and woman. And this is going to be like that construction paper. It's a little fibrous, you know. You got it in your mind. You know, you know what I'm saying? Now, you take these two paper hearts, and you glue them together, and you put them together, right? And say you decide after three years, let's split these apart. What do you think is going to happen? What are those hearts going to look like? They're going to be mangled, okay? There's going to be pieces of pink stuck to the blue, pieces of blue stuck to the, to the pink. They're going to be torn. They're going to be broken. It's going to be ugly because that's what happens when you do this, when you play house, when you come together in a oneness union, but you're not doing it under the, the commitment of husband and wife for life. What you're doing is setting people up for failure, you're breaking hearts, and it hurts a lot of people. And I know this personally, okay? So if you're feeling judged out there, don't be, right? But we're looking at what the, the word says, all right? And so that's my next point, is that divorce is not the easy way out. Although there's, there's pain, and it's hard to get along, and there can be abuse, and there's lots of things going on, and we're... I don't know that I can handle all of that topic, and so I, you're going to have to talk about this further, about what you believe about it. But, but divorce is not the easy way out. It creates this ripple effect that disrupts the entire family. It disrupts more than just the family. It, it goes out there and just starts to hurt lots and lots of people because hard, hardened hearts and broken hearts, what they want to do is try to find the way to comfort themselves, to, to seek safety for themselves, and that seems only natural, right? But when, when you're hurting, you want to get away from that, right? You want to find a solution. You want to run away, and that's what a lot of people have done. That's what I've done. We've all 
done this in some way, shape, or form in our lives, tried to run from the pain, from things that we've committed to. But that's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way is selflessness instead of seeking our, our self-preservation, our selfishness. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. Again, I'm reminding you, the Pharisees were saying, how can we get out of our marriages? It's still okay, right? They think Jesus is kind of a prophet. It's still okay that we can write our wife's certificate of divorces and get out of here, right? And Jesus is he's, he's challenging their hearts. And so we go back to that second verse It says, a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, you might think it's only talking about the woman, right? Like, and and back in that culture, yes, there would be, um, you know, a lot more authority in in the man, in the marriage, in the Jewish culture, and but Jesus reiterates and talks more about this in Matthew 19 and Mark 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So it's talking about both people, all right? The husband and the wife. What happens is, is when we break those relationships and we go on, now we're causing other people to sin. And there's an interesting story, a pastor I know who he was very infatuated with this woman and they were almost the perfect match. But he wanted to honor God, and he knew that she had been divorced um, in, a, in a marriage that wasn't, I guess, there wasn't a biblical divorce. There was no grounds for it that he could make in his mind. And so he felt like following this passage meant that he had to, even though he, he, he was almost in love with this woman and he thought they would be a great couple, he had to say no and back out of that and find a woman who was... Um, more in line with his faith and his beliefs. And I, I, I honestly have a lot of respect for his decision in doing that. But, but you see what happens is, is divorce is not just helping me out and giving me peace. It's, all, it's actually hurting me and it's hurting others and it's causing a ripple effect into all kinds of relationships after that that are not honoring to God. If we go back to Malachi chapter 2, this is in the Old Testament. It's not only hurting, you know, the husband and wife, but didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? This is what God is saying through the prophet. In body and in spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. Remember that thing from Genesis, go be fruitful and multiply. God's design for the family was that man and woman would stay together and committed for life and that they would raise up godly children that would follow after God. Let me tell you something. I heard a while ago a pastor talking about, um, you know, Muslim families and how they, they have about 6.5 kids per family, where Christian families are now starting, they're now averaging down like b- below 2.5 kids per family. And he says, what will happen just because we're not actually following the, the command to be fruitful and multiply is that, that the... the the population of the world will basically beat us out, right? But God wanted us to go take over the world, right? Not, not in a physical sense, but take dominion over the world, subdue it, um, make the land good, and, and go into the land that he provided for us and be good stewards of everything. Instead, we've, we've turned marriage into to something else to make our own little kingdoms of, of comfort and 
And so I think, you know, we talk about making disciples all the time. Um, the best way to actually make a disciple is to literally make a disciple. <laughs> you know, come together, have kids, and then raise them up to follow the Lord. I mean, if we can't make them by sharing the gospel because everybody's rejecting us, at least we can make them at home. It might take a little longer. But, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is uh, I think the baby that my wife and I just had would be considered, a, you know, one of those stay-at-home COVID babies. You know, I, I pray, you know, if you guys want prayer, if you're, you're thinking about having a baby or you can't or, or you need to adopt or something like that, I understand there's all kinds of nuance to this topic. But if you want prayer about that, um, we would love to pray with you after. But it's a beautiful thing that God created and he wants godly kids from our union. We're, we're representing God in so much greater of a way. And then he goes on to say, so guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. God hates it when families are broken apart. It causes so much pain. I don't have to, I don't have to tell you that because you know it. It's obvious, right? Now, I'm not saying that God can't take broken things because I, I, I am living proof of that. God can take broken things and do amazing things out of sucky situations. Um, and he can turn and use them for good. But this is how God feels about this because he loves the idea of union and marriage. It's a sacred thing to him, right? It's not the easy way out. It hurts a lot of people. And my last point is this, that Jesus, the Jesus way then teaches us to save our marriages, to be selfless into fight for our marriages. We'll go to Ephesians 5. You guys have probably, a lot of you have heard this verse. Paul is talking about being like Christ in our marriages. And he says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Husbands, we've got to love our wives, but this isn't just only to husbands. Sometimes the wife has to be Christ too. This is what I tell people when I'm, when I'm dealing with a struggle in someone's marriage, if I'm helping with counseling, because this is what happened and what pastors told me and what the word tells me to do. It says, at least one of you has to become like Christ in this marriage for you to survive. And what did Christ do? What was his example? God made a covenant with his people and we walked out on him. We were unfaithful. We've gone after every other thing and put everything in, 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 in priority above God. We've gone against him, against all of his laws and his rules, and we've dishonored him in so many different ways. We've all sinned and fallen short of the God's, God's glory. We go our own way and not the Jesus way, not God's way. But you know what? He said, that's okay. I'm not going to break my covenant with you. I'm not going to divorce you. What I'm going to do is lay down my life for you. I'm going to come and die for you. And that's the picture of Christ is that he lays down his life while we were still sinners, the Bible says. While we were still mocking him. While we still didn't believe. While we still hated him. Christ died for us. Even while he was on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So in marriage, Paul is telling us, you want your marriage to survive? You've probably all heard that it was said, yeah, marriage has got to be 50-50 for this thing to work. 
I bet you even thought that when you first got married, right? No. Sometimes it is zero and 100. All right? Sometimes, and it flip-flops between the husband and wife, but sometimes there are times where you need to lay your life down, be forgiving, gracious, act and live like Christ, be that to your spouse. And I got to tell you, if this wasn't uh, a, a, a hard and fast truth and belief in my own marriage, then me and my wife wouldn't be married today. We struggled so much because we did everything almost the wrong way leading up to marriage. And then in marriage, all this baggage that we brought, you know, we're a blended family. And if this wasn't a resolve that we had, that God hates divorce, he wants us, he wants us to fight for it. And we failed so many times, you know, so many times like in marriage counseling, we would say, or they would say, don't use the D word. And we tried, <laughs> but we failed. We brought it up. We used the word, and we still say, no, we cannot use that D word, right? Because it's not an option for a Christian. It is not an option for us to get, get divorced, all right? And, and we believed that. So we're going to follow this way of Christ and lay down our lives when marriage gets hard. Remember that Christ gave up his life for me. And you want to know why this is such a big deal to God? Because this is the greatest reason I believe he created marriage. It goes on in Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. As scriptures say, again, this is quoted for the third time. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. We are walking illustrations of God's love. And the family, like I said, is that fuller picture of the image of God. And we're out there trying to show the world of God's love. You know what the Bible, John, Jesus says in the book of John chapter 15, the world will know that you're my disciples by how you what? Say it. Love one another. We're walking examples of the love of Christ. I want to I illustrate him. I want to honor him in my marriage. I want to show the world. It does take commitment. It does take sacrifice. But we do need to fight for our marriages and honor God. Now, I know this is a tough topic for a lot of us here today. Um, if you're here and, and, and you're just like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move forward. I, we can't make it. Well, that is why the church exists. So that... You don't have to be alone. The Bible never says you can't bring a third person into the marriage for counseling, you know, and into these arguments and fights. And No, that's why we exist. That's why we're here, is to serve first and foremost believers to help you in your marriage. And so that's what we want to do. I hope today that this opens your eyes and helps you to maybe have a, a deeper discussion and understanding, you know, what the world believes about marriage versus what we believe and I hope that this will cause you to be committed to your spouse, maybe your, your future spouse. Or maybe this will cause you to look back and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. And from today here on out, I know I can't go back and change everything that happened. But from here on out, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to live in the truth.